Jesus looked at the disciples and said, who do you say that I am? The answer to that question determines the eternal fate of every soul. That's profound. And so it's worthy to spend your time thinking of Jesus. Whether you agree or disagree, you will have to answer that question. And so today I want to talk about Jesus. We've already sang about Jesus. I want to begin to preach about Jesus. And I want you to look unto Jesus. And so Psalm 27 verse 8. We're going to put this one on the screen. Psalm 27 verse 8. David writes and he says this. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you. So I want you to catch that. David says, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Again, draw your attention to that. My heart said to you. Your face, Lord, I will seek. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. We're going to put that on the screen as well. The Apostle Paul writing in the New Testament tells us this. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a profound truth. That the knowledge of of the glory of God can be seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And so that's the title of my sermon this morning, The Face of Jesus Christ. We've sang about Him. You've thought about Him. Now I want to ask you to set your eyes upon Jesus, the eyes of your heart, to look on Jesus. Can you do that this morning? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for this opportunity, Lord. I'm going to pray uh, as I have been praying, Lord, that you would give to me the tongue of the learned that I may speak a word in season to him who is weary. God, that is my prayer for myself. But beyond that, Lord, I pray that you would give to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that when we behold his face, God, we would be transformed from glory to glory. When we behold the face of Jesus, we would see the glory and the love of God. And so come, Holy Spirit, because apart from the work of the Spirit, it is impossible for us to see. The carnal man cannot accept these things, but the spiritual person can comprehend because you give us that ability. So come, Holy Spirit, anoint my preaching, God. Anoint our hearts and our eyes and our minds and our ears to receive the mysteries of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Now you can be seated. Uh, 2022, the year of faith. That's, that's kind of been what we've said about this year, the year of faith. And so here I am standing on the stage, not preaching so much about faith, but I'm preaching about the face of Jesus Christ. But I, I don't see this as a disconnect from the year of faith. Because as I've grown in my Christianity, as I've grown in my walk with the Lord, I, I truly believe that there is no greater way to strengthen or increase your faith than to look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12. When you get out of Hebrews chapter 11, which many of us preachers will call the hall of faith. You have, by faith, Abel did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Enoch did this. When you get to Hebrews chapter 12, it transitions, and the writer is saying, essentially, because all of these people did this by faith, now you, writing to that first century audience, but us, by way of reading it, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What race are we talking about? The race of faith, the fight of faith, and how do you do that? How do you have endurance to run the race of Christianity? He answers it in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher 
of your faith. And so that's exactly what I want to do today. Look unto Jesus and in particular the face of Jesus. As we read, it says that it gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So before I do that, before we look right to the face of Jesus, I want to take just a minute to talk about what we see regarding the face of God throughout Scripture. It's a, it's a theme that begins in the garden and it culminates in the new creation, the face of God. And so what I see is the face of God in the garden when Adam and Eve walked and talked and spoke with the Lord. I see the face of God in that representing communion and fellowship. What man desires is to have communion and fellowship with our creator. Whether you know that or not, your heart has a desire to know the one who created you. And we see in the beginning this fellowship that was given to Adam and Eve before sin entered the world, face-to-face communion and fellowship with God. But we know that they sin, they fall, they are driven out of the garden. But the story of the face of God and the presence of God continues. Moses in Exodus, as the people have been taken out of Egypt, he gets to the point where he's on the mountain with God, and he says, if your presence will not go with us, we will not leave. And he says, show me your glory. The the cry of Moses' heart is for God to reveal his glory to him. God responds and says, you cannot see my face. There's a connection between the glory of God, the presence of God, and the face of God. But God responds to Moses and says, you cannot see my face. For no man can see my face and live. Now because of sin, the relationship that Adam and Eve had in the garden has been marred. It is not completely lost. Moses is communicating with God, but God says, I cannot reveal my full glory to you. He says, instead, I'm going to hide you in this rock. My glory will pass by. You cannot see my face, but God will reveal his his presence and his glory to us, but it is veiled. It is veiled now. And so I see the face of God representing the presence of God. What about salvation? In the Old Testament, Psalm 80, verse 19, the psalmist writes this, Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. There is something in the face of God revealed to the people that brings salvation. What about blessing and peace? Aaron's high priestly prayer that God gave to Moses and then Moses gave to Aaron to pray over the people in Numbers chapter 6. He says this, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and give you peace. There is something in the face of God shining upon the people that brings blessing and brings peace. And then if we jump to the end of the story, if we jump all the way to Revelation chapter 22, in the culmination of all things, it says this, In the new creation there will be no more curse. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And verse 4 says, They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. One author said this, and I think it's exactly right. He said that all of the history of salvation could be easily described as the gradual discovery of the face of God. I would say the rediscovery. What was lost in the garden is redeemed and in the new creation we see one day we shall see God face to face. We shall behold his glory, not veiled, unveiled, and we shall be changed for all of eternity. That is the story of salvation, the history of salvation. So from the garden to the new creation, there is a connection between the glory of God, the salvation of God with the face of God. And I think Scripture is revealing to us that the only means by which we can truly know God is to behold His face. I want to say that again. The only way you can truly know God, because there's many people that want to think about God in rational terms. 
You want to reason God's existence? I'm not saying that I'm anti-reason. I thank God for the abilities that he's given us. But there is a point to which the human mind can go and go no further. And there comes a point where you have to contemplate. You have to meditate. And, and those two words have been hijacked by Eastern religions. But you have to truly make a spiritual connection with God. And you have to contemplate his existence. You have to contemplate his face. That's why David said, I will seek your face. He said, I want to stay in the temple that I can inquire of the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life. He had a connection that went beyond his mental capacities to a spiritual level that was as real as anything in this world. You can only know God if you truly behold his face. And so what you're probably thinking now, at least some of you are thinking, all right, you want me, preacher, to look at the face of Jesus Christ, but we can't see his face. And in one sense, I agree with you. He died, he was buried, he was resurrected, he ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he is right now, in heaven, ruling and reigning as the King of kings and Lord of lords. So yes, in a real sense, I can't tell you to see his face like that, but I can say this, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the revelation of the Word of God, you can behold his face this morning. In preacher lingo, it is the eye of faith. You with the eye of faith, because there is a spiritual sight. There is a spiritual sight when it is the eyes of your heart being enlightened by the work of the Holy Spirit that you can see things that are unseen. Things that are invisible become visible. And there is a reality that this, what we see, as Paul says, is temporary, but that which we do not is eternal. And in the face of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, eternal realities become real in our life. And we look upon his face. And Paul prayed this in Ephesians 1.18. I prayed it this morning. He said, I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. And again, David in Psalm 27, what did he say? My heart said to you, Lord, your face I will seek. Your heart seeking the face of God. That's what I want for you today. I want your heart to seek the face of God. And so when you go from Old Testament to New Testament, and you see the face of God all in the Old Testament, but you really don't see a lot of references to the face of God in the New, that's because the face of God shows up in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when I tell you to look at the face of Jesus, I want to take you through some scriptures so that when you see Jesus, it's not just about what did Jesus do. Many times when we read scripture, we want to see what did Jesus do here? What did Jesus do here? That's good. But what I want to do today is I want to draw your attention to his face. What do the scriptures say about his face? And by way of seeing his face, what does it tell us about God the Father? Can we do that this morning? So let's read Luke chapter 9. If you're going to join with me in, in your Bibles, Luke chapter 9, we're going to look at two passages in Luke chapter 9. One at the end of Luke, and I'll pull a few other passages as we go. But there's nothing like the sound of pages turning in a Bible. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you. Join with me, Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have your scriptures. And we're going to read through this. And again, we're beholding the face of Jesus. So Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 28, it says this. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. Verse 29. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. Look at that, verse 29. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. 
Something changed in the appearance of Jesus. His robe became white and glistening. Verse 30 goes on to say, And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which was about which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Verse 33. Then it happened as they were parting from him. That Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. What else do you say in that moment? Peter gets knocked so many times in Scripture, but what else do you say in that moment? When you wake up from sleep and the unveiled face of God is before you, he says, it's good for us to be here. So I'm not going to knock Peter. I'll, I'll call him out a little bit later because I don't think he quite sees the fullness. But in this moment, he says all that he knows to say, and he says, it's good for us to be here. And I want to say it's good for us this morning to take a moment and look at the face of Jesus and behold his glory. So I don't think Peter misses it completely here, but he goes on to say, uh, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And then verse 35, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. 36, and we'll be done here. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. So what do we see? Verse 29, it says his face was altered. In a moment, the face of Jesus was altered. It was changed. In a moment, it began to shine forth with the glory of God. What we need to realize as Christians is that in this moment, he didn't gain something that he didn't already possess. He didn't in this moment become God. He was always God in the flesh. And so in this moment, he is not gaining something, but instead he is revealing who he really is. His true identity that he is, according to verse 35, as the father said, he is the beloved son. He is the son of God, truly God and truly man. I've heard so many people say he's 100% God, he's 100% man. I stick in my lingo with what the early church creeds say. He's truly God and truly man. I can't quite figure all that out and no human mind can, but he is truly God and truly man. And we see in this moment that he's one with the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 says that he's the brightness of his glory. He's the express image of his person. That's why Jesus can say things like, I and the Father are one. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Luke 10, he says this, no one knows the Son except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal. Jesus reveals the Father to us. He came that he might reveal the Father to us. And we see through the transfiguration, that's the fancy word that's used for this, the transfiguration that Jesus is the Son of the Father, that the Father has sent him into this world. And we see through the face of Jesus the plan of salvation. Did you notice what they were talking to Jesus about? His decease which was to come. And so in this moment, the conversation with Jesus when he's transfigured and his glory is shown is about his death that is to come. And we see he's the son of the father. The father has sent him to accomplish our salvation. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That's the plan of salvation. God himself accomplishes salvation, not because of us, but because of his great love for us. The reason you love God is because he first loved you. 
The reason we know God is because Jesus Christ came to reveal Him to us. The mysteries of God that were hidden in the Old Testament, in the New, begin to be revealed in their fuller extent. And we see in the face of Jesus, He's not just another man that showed up with some good ideas and some good teaching. He is God in the flesh, coming to redeem lost and sinful man. What we could not do for ourselves, God sent His Son to do for us. That's the glory of God. That's the love of God. That's the goodness of God. When you feel hopeless, lost, and broken, guess what? You are apart from Him. But He didn't decide to leave you in that. And one of my favorite things in all of Scripture, I didn't give them this, but the next story that you read, as Jesus is on the mountain, transfigured with Peter, James, and John, and the glory of God is being revealed, there's something taking place at the foot of the mountain. There is a father whose son is demon-possessed, and he has brought that son to the nine disciples that remain, and he has said, I need you to heal my son, but they can't do it. And so while Jesus is on the mountain in the fullness of his glory, and Peter, James, and John are trying to figure this out, and Peter says, it's good for us to be here. I'm going to build some tabernacles so that we can just stay here. Jesus instead says, no, there's work to be done still in the valley. And he goes from revealing his glory to walking down to the bottom of this mountain. And he walks up to this scene where a father is broken. I'm sure he was crying. I'm sure he was hurting. All of his hopes that his son would be healed have not been met. And now he's beholding the face. It's not a face that's shining with glory now. But he is beholding the face of the Son of God. And he is saying, I brought my son to your disciples that they might heal him and they haven't been able to do it. And Jesus says, to the one who believes, all things are possible. And he looks into the eyes of the son of God. And I don't think this man completely understood whose face he was really looking in. He just heard that this man could heal. But we know that he's looking into the face of the Son of God. And by looking into the face of the Son of God, he is by way looking into the heart of God the Father. And when he cries out and he says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief, God looks at him. God the Son looks at him and he heals his son. He didn't stay on the mountain. I thank God for that. He came down in the valley. And he walks with us. He walks with us in our chaos. He walks with us in our brokenness. He walks with us in our sin because he came not to be revealed on a mountain in the fullness of his glory and be left there, but instead he came to walk in the valley and eventually make it to a cross. And in this valley, we see something else happen to the face of Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. I'm going to put these on the screen as well. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. It says this, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. The disciples notice a change in the face of Jesus. A determination and intensity that now is the time to go to Jerusalem. They see something in him. And if you've ever seen this in a person, you know when they shift and they have a plan and they have a purpose and they have something to accomplish and the time has come, there's a determination in their face that they're going to accomplish it. And so that face that's shown with the glory of God now has a marked difference that he has a plan to accomplish and the disciples realize it. Verse 52, and he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Verse 53, but they did not receive him. Why? 
because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Even the Samaritans realize his face is set, not to set up a kingdom in Samaria, but to go to Jerusalem to the cross. Even the, the Samaritans realize that he has set his face to go to Jerusalem to accomplish our salvation. Verse 54, and when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to consume them just as Elijah did? Now, come on, guys. They're thinking, you know what? Now, I'm not going to get into all the intricate details between the Jews and Samaritans. There's a lot going on here, but they think, you know what? Here's the Son of Man. We just saw his face shining in glory. Well, guess what? If you're going to oppose him, well, we'll just call down fire from heaven. That's not what he had planned. Verse 55, he turns and rebukes them. You do not know what manner of spirit you are, but I want to draw your attention to verse 56 because his face was set to Jerusalem for what purpose? Verse 56, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. On the mountain, he revealed himself as the Son of God. In the valley, he reveals himself as the Son of Man. He came for sinners. He didn't come to destroy. He came to save. But I want to draw your attention that his face was set to go to Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 7 gives us some insight into this. Writing hundreds of years before this, but speaking of the Messiah, Isaiah chapter 50 verse 7 tells us this. Speaking of the Messiah prophetically, For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. In a moment, the face of Jesus that was shining with the glory of God is now hardened like a stone with the purpose of going to Jerusalem where he knows he will suffer, he knows he will die. Why? Because he came to save your life. And he came to save my life. And I can look at the face of Jesus and I can ask myself this question. Does God really love me? Does God really care about my situation? Does God really care to redeem me from my sin and my rebellion and my brokenness? Look at the face of Jesus that was steadfastly set like a stone to go to Jerusalem. And the answer to that question is overwhelmingly yes. You look at the face of Jesus and you see the love of God. If you're a Christian and you ask yourself the question, will God keep me? Yes, he will. He pursued you when you didn't even know where to turn. I don't really like when people say, I found Jesus. I know what you mean. I'm not going to theologically correct you in that moment, so I'll do it right here broadly. You didn't find him. He's not lost. He found you. Because God pursues sinners. God seeks and saves that which is lost. If you think you're saved, he's not going to be able to find you in that sense. Because guess what? You don't want to be found. But when you realize you're lost and broken and hopeless, then you realize that the Son of Man that set His face like flint to go to the cross is doing that for you. And He'll keep you, and He'll hold you, and He will see it through because He accomplishes that which He came to do. Amen? Set His face like flint. And so as we move in the story, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Trying to keep you in the same book to make this easy for you. Luke chapter 22, verses 63 through 65. Again, we're still beholding the face of Jesus. Luke chapter 22, verses 63 through 65. We've made it to the point where Jesus has now made it to Jerusalem. 
He has been taken in by the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin to be uh, questioned, to be given a trial, if we want to call it that. It's a mock trial. They've already determined what they want to do to him. They want to kill him. But this was the purpose which he came for, so he kept his mouth closed through all of this. But I want you to look again. Think about the face, the face that shone with the glory of God, the face that was set like flint to go to Jerusalem. Now let's look and behold the face, verses 63 through 65. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. Having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face. And they asked him, saying, Prophesy, who's the one who struck you? Many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. The story goes on to talk about Jesus. They spat on the face. They ripped his beard out of his face. They eventually got him to the point where they took a crown of thorns and they placed it upon his brow and they did not do it easily. They beat that crown of thorns into his skull. And now this face of Jesus that shone with the glory of God that was set to go to Jerusalem is now broken, bruised, and blood-stained. And it's the face of God himself. The ones that he created, the ones that he upholds their life by the word of his power are the very ones that are inflicting this abuse on his face. And so as you behold the face of God, you see, you see all of this taking place. And instead of them receiving the face of God that the Old Testament speaks so much about, and these men know the Old Testament, they know these things, but they cannot see because of the hardness of their heart that God himself is standing before them. Instead of receiving this face with joy, they treat it with utter violence. And in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, again, so many years before the crucifixion, Isaiah, by the Spirit of God, gives us details of this suffering servant. He tells us that he would die for our sins. He would die in our place. He would redeem us from our sins. By his stripes we are healed. He bore the sins of many. He makes intercessions for the transgressors. All of these things. We go to Isaiah 53 so many times when we think about the cross, and you should. But today I'm taking you to the cross to see his face. And I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 and 14. And it's going to be on the screen. This is NIV. I'm reading out of the New King James. But I picked NIV because I think it does a really good job of helping us see this. Isaiah says this about Jesus hundreds of years before he came. He says, see my servant. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. See my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. Verse 14. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. That's the face of Jesus. The face that was transfigured on the mountain and shone with the glory of God is now disfigured on the cross. But the question I have for you today is which one is more glorious? I think our hearts are drawn to the mountain. We want the Jesus whose face shines like the sun. And I don't want to put these things in comparison to each other really because they're both wonderful and glorious. But I truly believe that when we behold the face of Jesus disfigured on the cross, that is the glory and the love of God most clearly revealed to us. And so it's one thing to behold his glory on the mountain, but it's another thing to behold his glory on the cross. 
And that's where I want your heart to be drawn today. I want you to see that the face of God revealed in Jesus Christ on the cross is the most glorious because it reveals to us the deepest level of God's love. And so in a very real sense, I can say this. As glorious and powerful as the transfiguration of Jesus was, when his face shone with the glory of God, not a single soul was saved because of it. If he had stayed on that mountain... Peter, James, and John would have perished. The young man that was demon-possessed would have remained in that state. The father would have remained helpless. The division between Samaritans and Jews would have remained. Your sin would have remained. My sin would have remained. We may have had a good story to tell about God the Son who showed up and showed us His shining face, but not a single sin would have been paid for. Not a single soul would have been redeemed. So we could say like Peter... Yes, Lord, it's good for us to be here. You should contemplate the face of Jesus on the mountain. It is good to be there. But I think if we ask the Apostle John, the only one who stood on the mountain and at the cross, he would say, yes, it was good to be there on the mountain. But it's far better to be here at the cross where the face of God is revealed. And Jesus, who is the brightness of his glory, reveals the grace and the truth and the love of God the Father at the cross. Amen? Beholding the face of Jesus at the cross, that is what we're called to do. To behold his disfigured, blood-stained face, that is what made salvation possible for every soul which trusts in him. Not a single soul saved because of the Mount of Transfiguration. Every soul throughout eternity which places its faith in Jesus is saved because of his face on the cross. The blood of Jesus, isn't it? precious. Isn't it holy? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it lovely? And so that's what I wanted to do this morning. I wanted to preach to you about the face of Jesus. And so I end where I began, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It's God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. The face of Jesus Christ. That's my hope that the eyes of your heart today by the work of the Holy Spirit have been lifted up to behold the face of Jesus. That face that was transfigured to show you his person, that he's the God-man that came to save you. That face that was steadfast to show you the glory of his pursuit, that he came to save sinners, that he will not be stopped in his plan, that if you are in his hands, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, and that face that was disfigured to show you his passion, the passion which provided salvation for the world through the precious and holy blood of Jesus. And so I wrote it like this to end. I said, on the mountain his face was transfigured and his clothes became white and glistening. Yet on the cross, his face was disfigured. His body was naked and covered in blood. But that's the glory of God. That's the paradox of Christianity. That through death, we live. That by dying, we're saved. By bowing, we rise. By looking at the crucified Savior, your sins are forgiven. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he lovely? Psalm 27, verse 8. My heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. That has got to be what you do. Read your scriptures. Read the Bible. Think about Jesus. Read all the things you can about Jesus. But in your reading, don't forget to behold his face. Don't forget to contemplate 
to stop when something stands out in Scripture and think about it. See what God will reveal to you. Meditate on the things of God. Constantly have the face of Jesus before you. The transfigured, the steadfast, the disfigured. The face of Jesus in your heart. That will give you faith to endure. That will give you faith to remain. And then don't forget that one day you will see his face in glory. Because it didn't remain disfigured. It was raised in the newness of life. And we shall behold his face one day. But until that day, by the power of the Spirit, I can behold his face. Amen? I want to ask the worship team to come back up because that's, that's the only way I know to end today is to behold Jesus, is to worship Jesus because he's worthy. And you have to push things out of your mind many times. You have to say, just like David did, Lord, you said seek my face. That's a commandment of the Lord, to seek his face. So you can get discouraged. You can say, I don't know how, but I'm telling you today, you just take your heart by faith and you say, I'm going to focus my mind, my attention, everything that I have upon the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, and God will open the eyes of your heart to see and behold his Son, to see and behold the one whose blood was shed to forgive your sins. To see and behold the one who says, you are worthy because you are in me. So I want to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. We're going to end in worship. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, maybe you know about Jesus, but you haven't beheld his glory. I want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want to pray. And I want to ask God to do what God said He would do. And those are prayers that get answered, by the way. He told us to seek His face. And if your heart this morning says, I want to, then I want to pray with you that the Holy Spirit would give you the ability to see Jesus in this light to maybe behold Jesus to a deeper level than you ever have before because you're going to have to answer the question, who am I? Who am I? And your answer to that question determines your eternal fate. And when you see him on the cross by the power of the Spirit, you can say like Peter did, you are the Christ of God. And so, Father, this morning we just continue, Lord, to praise you. I magnify your great name, Lord. I speak faith over this church family, Lord. I pray that by the power of your Spirit, God, you would give us the ability to see your Son, Jesus Christ, as you wanted us to see him, Lord. Transfigured on the mountain as the Son of God, you revealed that he was your Son, that he is not just like any other man, but he is the God-man who came to accomplish our salvation, Lord. Let us behold his glory and be changed from glory to glory every day changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ to see his face steadfastly set towards Jerusalem where he knew he would suffer and he knew he would die and as we behold that face God we will know that you pursued us that you love us that you care for us God that you will keep us and as you keep us in the valley God we will praise you even in the darkness because there's one who sticks closer than a brother and then Lord to behold his face on the cross To see the love of God. God, to see it like we've never seen it before. 
to see the face of the one that it says was in the beginning with the word. He was with God and he was God. And he came and he dwelt among us, Lord, he tabernacled among us. And by his blood, we have been set free. Hallelujah. Thank you for the cross. So, Lord, give us faith this morning. Open our eyes, God, to see and let our hearts sing your praises. And if you agree with that this morning, give the Lord a hand clap of praise, a shout. Amen. In Jesus' name.